thank you, man. That song never grows old, does it? How many times have you heard that? And it still has great, great meaning for us. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21, if you would. And while you're turning, let me remind you that uh, tonight is one of the outstanding services. I, I mean this with all my heart. If you were not here at... Uh, the presentation of God with us with truth. How long ago was that? This About two years? Two years. It was a magnificent service. But I'm going to tell you, folks, that this choir and orchestra is going to do a better job than even truth did. Amen? Amen. <laughs> and uh, it will be an outstanding service. I, I, I hope that you'll come back. And it is a praise service. And like we, we did in the opening the service today, there will be... Uh, involvement of, you, of the congregation, and so you'll want to be a part of that tonight at 6.15. I hope you will not miss it. It is a great worship experience. Revelation chapter 21 carries us after all the burden and suffering and the pain and the darkness, the judgment, after all of the condemnation of the previous 20 chapters Chapter 21 is like a gulp of fresh, new, purified air. It is as if the old has passed out and the new has come. Listen to the language, indescribably beautiful and hopeful. I saw, John said, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. And there shall be no more pain, for all the former things have passed out of the situation the picture. It's parerkomai. It is they have just passed off the scene. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write this down, John. Write this down, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give of the water, of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, those who are run by fear, the unbelieving, those who have refused every persuasion of grace, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, 
the sorcerers, those who use and those who sell drugs, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It is a question that not only children ask, but adults ask. What is heaven going to be like? If I could just know, to the Muslim, heaven is a seven-tiered existence. And if you're a martyr going into heaven, you get a huge harem in heaven. Amen. Can you imagine that? See, to a 19-year-old Islam man who's trained that heaven will give him a huge harem for his physical, sensual pleasure, you might drive a, a truck bomb into a building too. That's what they believe. That's what they've been taught. To the Hindu, heaven is this vast ocean. And when we die, we're like a drop of water that falls into the ocean and then is evaporated and comes back in another form. Maybe next time around, you'll be a Baptist preacher, <laughs> they say. Or maybe next time around, you have another crack at doing better than you did the first time. Of course, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says it is appointed unto man how many times today? Once. And after this comes the judgment. But to a Christian, heaven is not a platonic ideal world where we play golf all day or eat clams all day. I love scallops myself. Or eat scallops all day. Amen. That's, that's the best you can buy. Scallops, I mean, they're vegetarians of the sea. And if you can't be a vegetarian, that's the next best. Eat a vegetarian. Did you know that? If you can't be one, eat one. But um, <laughs> that's right. They're, they're the vegetarians of the sea. But for us, heaven is a very real existence with God, with Him. Now, what is it like? And that's what Revelation 21 and 22 are all about. No more judgment. The former things have passed away. I, I'm just, I kind of got tired of seals and bowls and trumpets of judgment, didn't you? Over and over again. And now, here's what he says. Heaven and earth will be made all new. Now, one thing I, wanna, I want you to understand, what difference does it make that we believe in heaven? And throughout this message, as I prepared for this and studied and prayed, it struck me over and over again, the answer to many questions in the Bible comes right here. Heaven is to always be on the mind of the believer. Paul said, set your affection on things where? Above, not on things on the earth. When I have, Paul says, one step in heaven and one step on earth, that's when I realize that I'm a citizen of two spheres. I belong on this earth, but not for long. But the moment I become a Christian, my heart is in heaven. And I long for that. Somebody said, yesterday is history. Tomorrow is mystery. Today is a gift. 
And that's why we call it the present. <laughs> the present. But the truth is, C.S. Lewis put it succinctly for me, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Notice six things in this text that Paul, uh, that John rather clearly gives us and uh, lays down for us about the new life. First, there is a totally new environment in verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. Now, the new heaven really is three things renewed. First, the new heaven means that the air above us, the, the uh, world just above us in our, in our atmosphere is all brand new. It's the world in which the birds fly and sing. The atmosphere of the world is new. Now, here's the idea of the Hebrews that there, was, that there were three heavens and there was a third heaven. The second new world in the mind of the Hebrews was the starry universe. Above our atmosphere, the world of Andromeda. And I don't know how God could improve on that. When I walk out at night and see the bright shining stars, there's not much more beautiful than being up in Allegheny County on that mountain up there at Camp... Um, what am I trying to Laurel Springs, uh, Laurel Ridge at Laurel Springs, and standing on the top of that mountain at night and looking at the lights of the towns below, twinkling and looking at those stars. But God says, I'm going to make it all new and I'm going to make it all better. It'll be even better than that. Now, the third heaven is above that. Metaphysically speaking, it is God's throne. In the Hebrew mind, that's the idea of the third heaven. It is the throne and the dwelling of God. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, there's an interesting thing here in this translation. Look at your text very carefully. The first heaven and the first earth are passed away. Notice he doesn't say second heaven and second earth. He says new heaven and new earth. Now, there's a reason. The word is kine, K-A-I-N-E in a transliteration from the Greek. And what that means is a totally new in quality. Now, I think the first earth passes away. I think that's true. The Bible, the Bible speaks of that. And the passing away is parerkomai. It doesn't mean obliterated. It means it's, it's like a man who walks through a door and shuts the door and you say, he has passed through the door. He has passed away. Just as there was a relationship between the body of Jesus, his old body, and the resurrected body, so I think God's work on heaven and earth is a complete transformation into a kind of new quality or else he would have used another word for new heaven and new earth. It is new, like Jesus' body. Not second, but new, totally new. I know the Bible says the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, but God will take whatever those elements are and turn them, transform them into something totally new, a totally new environment. 
The second thing that characterizes heaven is it will be a holy new community. Look at verse 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. A holy new community. Notice this is a city. It could have been a vineyard. It could have been a farm. It could have been anything in God's apocalyptic eye, his prophetic eye, but it is a city. People dwell in cities. We are the city. And we shall be the city like a bride adorned for a husband. Now watch the things that happen. First is the city. It's New Jerusalem. It is a bride. It comes from God, and it is a bride. All in that verse, he tells us something about heaven will be a wholly new community. The concept is we are God's people now, and when we get together in the body of Christ, we are God's people here on earth, but up there there'll be no one but God's people in heaven, and that will be a brand new community. Can you imagine living in an age when there is no crime and when there is no war in Serbia or Croatia or Bosnia? Can you imagine living in an age when there are no policemen? You know, years ago, I was preaching a revival up in Nova Scotia, and somebody carried me over to, uh, what's that island? Uh, New, uh, Newfoundland. Did you know that on that whole island, I, they only had two policemen on the whole island, and they didn't allow any liquor, ask any, ask any policeman how much liquor and drugs affects his work. Ask any policeman most of what he does. Can you imagine it's banned and you don't even vote on it? <laughs> it's gone and you didn't even have to run a political campaign to get rid of it? And I couldn't believe on that whole island with all those people, there were only two policemen and they were lonely as a Maytag repairman. I mean, they just had nothing to do because they had banned liquor and drugs totally from the island and it wasn't even up for debate. And that's a wholly new community. Listen to me. That's what God's people have always lived for. That's why we look forward to eternity. Turn over, hold your hand here and turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and watch how this works out. If you've never understood Hebrews, these passages, I want you to understand them in light of this message on heaven. One thing that always uh, struck me about these heroes of faith in Hebrews 11 was that they were, they were always looking forward to something. But I never quite put it into focus until I got to Revelation 21. See, for instance, in verse 1, faith is a substance of things hoped for. This chapter of faith is a chapter about hope. It's a chapter about what we look forward to. Now, verse, um, verse 39 of that chapter, all these heroes having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Abraham never received the full promise of God. Moses never received the full promise of God. God having provided something better for us. You mean there's something better than having all of God's promises fulfilled on this earth? That's right. What is it? Heaven. Keep your eye on heaven. 
that they should not be made perfect apart from us. They get nothing that the rest of us don't have. Well, when do we get it? Well, go right on over to verse 22 of chapter 12. And he explains it. You believers, like the Old Testament heroes of faith, have come to Mount Zion and to the city. There it is. The city, the city, not the farm, not the village, the city. That's important. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's the new Jerusalem. To an innumerable company of angels. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. To God, the judge of all. To the spirits of just men made perfect in heaven. We're made mature. We now, when we get to heaven, we'll have received everything God had for us. A brand new body. All the promises will be fulfilled. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Folks, I am here to tell you that uh, don't you let anybody intimidate you. We used to... <laughs> We used to hear people say, most Christians are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I want to tell you, if you're just earthly minded, you will be no heavenly good. When you live on this earth, if you don't learn to keep your eye on glory, if you don't learn to keep your eye on heaven, if you don't always have in mind that this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. You will be tied to the things of the world. That's what keeps us transcendent above the world. I have read a lot of Solzhenitsyn in the last 10 years. And if you read Solzhenitsyn, he has with the Russian mind and the Russian historical, philosophical, suffering eye, he has captured the essence of so many truths in Scripture. And in one chapter, he said this. He said, you know, he said, there's a great value in being in prison, writing about uh, his imprisonment in Russia. He said, there's great value in being in prison. Because when you're in prison, you learn to always keep your mind on the future when you're going to get out. As a matter of fact, if you go visit somebody in the jail ministry, the prison ministry, that's what they talk about. When I get out, I'm going to do this. Isn't that right, Robert? That's what they talk about. When I get out, I'm going to do this. I got three years and I'm out. They live every day in light of what's coming in the future. And so I never thought of that. And Solzhenitsyn said, that's the way a Christian ought to live. That's the way a Christian ought to be. With his eye on glory, the heavenly city. You see, it keeps us from living only for the moment. It keeps us living for eternity. It gives us the long look. That's why, young people, if you, if you serve Jesus Christ, stay in school. Take the long look. You say, well, I can get out buy a new car, pay my insurance if I work at hardest. Yeah, but stay in school. You know, we've got a philosophy that has permeated this world and has permeated the minds of our young people. Grab all the gusto you can get right now because this is all there is. No, the Christian gospel says this is never all there is. Every Christian learns to live the long look. Don't prostitute yourself with drugs. Don't sell your future with alcohol. Don't sell your future by spending your virginity for a moment of pleasure just to please somebody. Take the long look. Keep the long look. Learn not to live just for the moment. That's the message of heaven. And that is why we want to keep our eyes on glory. 
In one of his writings, C.S. Lewis said this, looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the few things a Christian is meant to do. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. And that is a powerful statement. Don't ever make excuses for living in the other world. Don't ever make excuses for singing about heaven. Don't ever make excuses. You know, our, our hymnology is changing. And the new songs, I don't hear much about heaven. I don't hear much. Everything's about now, 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 now. And everything in the Bible is there's a new heaven, there's a new earth, there's a, a, a new community for us, and we're going to live together there with the Father. We're headed, the writer of Hebrews says, to a new city, the eternal Jerusalem. The third thing that comes up in our text in Revelation 21 is that heaven is characterized by intimately new relationships. If we live in a city, in a new community, what will the relationships be like? Look at the verse, verse 3. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. In verse 2, the city is a bride. You'll never fully know what God's relationship is is to you and a relationship of a husband will be to the bride until you get to heaven and in your eternally new relationship where you no longer have to see God through a glass darkly and you no longer have to have knowledge in part and you no longer have to hear Jesus say, no man has seen the Father at any time. But when you're in his presence and there you're at the throne and he dwells, skene, he takes his, he, he brings you into his tent is literally the word. He brings you into his tent, into his throne, the third heaven where he lives. You will no longer have to wonder what does marriage mean. You will know what that intimacy is when you have eternal intimacy with God on his throne because we're the bride. The city is the bride. The best marriage in this church, and I don't know which it will be. How many of you think you got, well, I better not ask that. How many think you got the best one? Don't raise your hand. But the best marriage in this church comes so far short of understanding what the intimacy with God will be like when we're in heaven with him that nobody can even estimate what it would be but we'll be like his bride and we will dwell with him. And in verse 7, he who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he will be my son. So now we're a city, we're a bride, we're his people and we're his sons, we're his children. And we don't fully understand what it means to be God's children here on this earth. I struggle to know. I want to reflect my father 
I want to be faithful to my Father. I want to live under His leadership and let Christ be the master of my life. But I don't really know what it's like to be a son until you get to heaven and the Father says, Now, Gary, I'm going to show you what it really is like to be a son. I'll show you what it's like to be a bride. I'll show you what it's like to be in such intimacy with me that you understand and know everything about me because you're my son and you're my bride. Look at the figures. I would to God that we could train. If I were writing a Baptist catechism, I would write down these five things and tell every young person to memorize them. Don't ever be caught not knowing what Christians believe. And don't let anybody say to you, what do Baptists believe about heaven? Baptists believe what any Christian who honors the Bible ought to believe. Amen? And listen to this. Here are five things you ought to know about heaven and be able to repeat and tell. And if you don't get anything else out of this series on Revelation, you ought to know something about this. Number one, only the redeemed of all ages will be there. God saved people in every time, in Abraham's time, in Moses' time, in Jeremiah's time, in Christ's time, in the church age, in the tribulation. The redeemed of all ages, only the redeemed will be there. And it's not by how good you are. You've got to come God's way. Secondly, everyone before they go to heaven will go through judgment. Christians will go through the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, the tribulation saints will go through judgment. Everybody goes through judgment. God will judge everyone. Third, we shall reign with Christ. We Christians out of the church age will reign with him through that millennial time. We'll be on our thrones during the tribulation time. We shall reign with Christ. Fourth, we shall dwell with God in an eternal heaven. And fifth, we will dwell in a personal relationship. I do not know, other than knowing God and reveling in God, what that will mean. If the Bible had wanted you to know, it would have told you. But you ought to know those things about heaven. Now, there are two side issues here that let me just point out to you. The first is in 1 John 3, 2. Hold your hand here and go back to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. And in that passage, there is a magnificent hint about heaven. Beloved, 1 John, just to the left, 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. But even as children, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. See, uh, I was my father and mother's child. When I was 10 years old, being a child meant one thing. When I was 16 years old, it meant being something else. When I was 22 and got married, it meant being something else. I thought, ha, now I'm married. I got my own wife. Well, I thought I ruled the world. Somebody had finally agreed to marry me and live with me forever. Wasn't that wonderful? I mean, do you think about that? Think about what it means for that girl to leave her mom and daddy in the comfort of home and four television sets and three bathrooms and five showers and go with you and you can hardly pay for an apartment. And imagine what that means. Imagine. But you know, after I had children, being a child of my parents meant something else. 
And then when I had grandchildren, it meant something else. And I'll tell you, folks, if, if I learn as much about what my dad did for me from this age to glory as I have from 25 to 57, boy, I'm in for a real surprise. Because I think there's another step in knowing what it means to be a child of God, and that's in glory. Now finish the verse. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed. Now when will this happen? When Christ is revealed to us and comes for us, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And there's an enormous truth locked in this that linked with seeing Him as He is is being like Him. And there it is. Why will we be like Him? For now we shall see Him as He is. We can't see Him as He is until we're like Him. It's just as simple as that. Our minds could not encompass the truth of the glory of Jesus like we are. I could not grasp it any more than a child could understand the difference between a $100 bill and a $1 bill. We give our, children, our grandchildren a dollar for each year on their birthdays and then give them a gift too. They, when Marla turned six, I gave her a five and a one and she wondered why there was only two. She didn't understand the truth of a five. But someday, she, well, she already does now. She knows now. You and I couldn't grasp who Jesus is. But when we are like him, when we've been transformed, then we shall see him as he is because then we can take him in and appreciate him. Go ahead, take your four-month-old to Disney World or Disneyland. But they can't appreciate it. I mean, who's Mickey Mouse? Who's Minnie Mouse? Give me my bottle and a clean diaper. But when she's seven, oh, take me to Disney. Oh, don't you understand, dear people of God, what that means to us? That's why I'm keeping my eye on heaven. There's a time when the mysteries will all be unfolded and the chicken scratches on my, the record of my life will all be explained. The hieroglyphics will come and be revealed to me. For when I am like him, then I shall see him as he is. There's one other thing I want you to know about heaven in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is a, this is a, great, uh, a great passage. I don't think we've ever plumbed the depths of it, but look at it one more time. When Paul is using the analogy of love and spiritual gifts being like a child whose language is childlike, he said in verse 11, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now watch verse 12. For now, today, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... But then, whenever my knowledge is full, whenever I see him face to face, I shall know just as I also am known. I know this about heaven, that when I'm in the presence of God, dwelling in that 
intimate new relationship with him and I'm capable of fully knowing him, then I think there will be a great knowledge of each other. I think it'll be limited. I think we won't live together in families. We won't live in a nice white house on Beacon Hill with father and mother and children, but we shall know God because we shall also be known and there will be a new level of relationship with God and each other in all of glory and it will be a wonderful, intimate, inside, full knowledge relationship. The fourth thing that comes in our text is the victoriously new life. Verse 4, And God shall wipe away every tear. It's even hard for me to read this anymore. But can you grasp that? This victoriously new life shall have no tears and no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, for the former things have all parakomai, have all walked through the door and they're gone. They're gone. It's like an old shirt I took off one time not long ago. I said, honey, I don't believe I can ever wear this again. It's just got too many holes in it. I keep all my old shirts. Do you? I got a drawer of old T-shirts. Go back to 1832. And uh, I said, this one I believe is done. And uh, it had passed away. You know, when I, I went to explore Spurgeon's sermons on this topic, and in one of his sermons buried there was a magnificent rich gem of truth that I could not ignore. And this he said, now listen to me carefully. He said, you know, most Christians want to go up in the rapture. And all my life, I've said the same thing. How many of you have said that? Boy, I'd love to be, I'd love to be alive in the rapture. Wouldn't that be an experience? And then Spurgeon said, not I. I don't want to go in the rapture. I thought, well, why would he say that? And then I read on through, and here's what he said. He said, if Jesus went through death for me, then I want to go through death and see what it's like. I want to see what my Savior saw. I want to experience what my Lord experienced. I would rather, he said, miss the rapture because if you miss the rapture, you'll miss the resurrection experience. Oh, you'll be transformed, but you won't know what it means to go into the jaws of death and then be gloriously raised out of the jaws of death by the power of God. And then he made his point. The new heaven and the new earth will mean more to us because of what we've been through. How can you appreciate no more tears if you've never cried? How can you appreciate no more pain if you've never hurt? How can you appreciate no more death if you've never lost a loved one, a son, or a daughter close to you? One of the rich things about heaven is that the, everything in heaven counters every experience on earth. I've been working on this idea since my sickness a few years ago. Of what does it mean 
that God makes all things work together. I've got a bulging file of ideas that thick, probably, on what does God work on this earth through our affliction. And it's haunting, and when you come to heaven, you cannot escape what Paul told us. And he, he gave us a very good insight in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Don't miss this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For the apostle said, my, I've gone back to this more times than I care to recount. In verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now watch this. Here's the heart of it. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment temporary, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we do not look at the things which are seen but the thing, at the things which are not seen. We don't look at the things which are temporary but the things which are eternal. There it is. Paul says there's a direct correlation. The excruciating pain of this life works for you something far weightier in glory. In the new heaven and the new earth, there'll be no more pain. And where you shed buckets of tears of brokenness, there are no more tears. And the greater the experience here, the greater the glory there. Some of you say, I do not understand why families go through what they go through, the pain. I saw Rusty here in the choir this morning. Glad to have you here, my brother. His family just has gone through pain, 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 pain. But every heartache and every sorrow and every tear is working for you a great weight of glory. My investment is there just as surely as money in a mutual fund may produce, I said may, may produce for you a great return. Your suffering on this earth produces a great return in glory. Your pain on earth produces a great joy in glory. And your sorrow on earth produces a great eternal bliss in glory. And there's no more crying and no more death and no more sorrow and no more pain. And the hint, where there was pain, there's joy. There it is. That's what he's saying. So I don't know. I've about changed my mind. Lord, it's okay if I die before the rapture. And then I'll know what death was like. And I'll know what Jesus went through. And I'll know what it's like to be raised by the power of God. I must close. The fifth thing about heaven is a surprisingly new experience in verses 5 and 6. He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. It is done. I am the, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give the, of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. 
There's no way you can grasp what God has for us in heaven. But let me show you the symbols. All chapter 21 and 22 are so filled. Both chapters are filled with beautiful symbols. There's the bride. There's the fountain of life. There's the tree of life. There's the river of life. The river of the waters of life. There's the light of the throne of God. There's no need for light in heaven because God himself is the light thereof. All of these symbols are symbolic because there's no way we can grasp the full meaning. There's no way. I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. God will have to give us a whole new way of seeing, a whole new way of looking, a whole new way of experiencing what heaven will be like. It will be so rich. It, it, it will be a relationship on a totally new level with him and with each other because there's a whole new experience, a whole new paradigm of sight and hearing and understanding and heart. And sin is all gone and there is no bias and there is no jealousy and there is no envy and there is no meanness and there is no bitterness and there is no anger. It's all gone. A whole new paradigm of experiencing people in heaven. Those are not surprising statements, are they? I have not seen. You know that Isaiah saw the same thing? Look back in Isaiah 64 for a moment, and you'll see that Isaiah saw exactly the same thing. In chapter 64, that's not new to Paul. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, when he uses that passage, he says, as it is written. So he's saying, even Isaiah saw through the eye of faith. Isaiah 64, verse 4. Since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. Isn't that great? Isaiah saw the same thing. And in chapter 65, down here in verse 17, in his great millennial prophecy, behold, he said, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing. That city, that city that David founded, that city which was the, the recipient of prophets' martyrs' blood, that city of whom the psalmist said, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so is the Lord round about those who delight themselves. That city over which Jesus wept becomes the symbol, the only thing we can understand. It's a covenant city. It bore the favor of God. So the only way he can communicate to us what is in that new Jerusalem is to say it's a city, it's Jerusalem, it's the new one. And the old one is so rich and so great. Y'all, some of you were just there. You saw that city, didn't you, Keith? You saw it. Oh, that's, that's the best you can do to understand heaven. Let me close. There's an incredibly new judgment in Revelation 21. Incredibly new judgment, and then I'm done. And there it is in verse 8. But the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the drug users, that's, pharma, that, that's from pharmacaea. 
This is incredible that in John's day he would say this. In John's day, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns. How long shall it burn? Verse 10, forever and ever. Ionionis. One word for world is cosmos. This is Ion. It means age. It's the intensive. It means age upon age upon age. It's nothing but eternal judgment. Never been that kind of permanent final judgment before, but it's over. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. And without Christ, the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, drug users and sellers, idolaters and all liars shall have their part forever and ever. There it is. But I guess the thing that wraps this up more than anything else is what John said in verse 1. When he saw the new heaven and the new earth and the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, there was no more sea. Now that means either the sea, which represents the Gentile kingdoms ruling over the world, they're gone, and it means that. Or it may mean that John, locked on that island in exile, could see nothing but sea around him. And on the Lord's day, when he got that vision... I have a feeling he had a hankering in his heart to be with the Christians across the sea in Ephesus, across the sea in Thyatira, across the sea in Judea. And for him, the sea was separation. And he's saying, there's no more separation. No more separation from the Father, from our loved ones, from each other. Amen? Amen. Would you stand prayerfully, quietly? Holy Father, work in each of us to accomplish your will. Show us a new picture of heaven and eternity. Oh, God, cleanse us from keeping our eyes fixed on things of this world. Turn the posture of every heart towards heaven. Father, if there's a boy or girl, a man or woman who doesn't know Jesus and doesn't know for sure that heaven is his home, give that man or woman, boy or girl, the draft of your spirit, drawing them to the cross and to Jesus, the way to heaven. In his name, amen.